is a privilege and an honor to start our series on Genesis. We are returning this time to the journey of Abraham, the second act of Genesis, you might say, which falls in books 12 to 50. Um, and this is a precious, a precious book to me, one that I've always held close to my heart. And in fact, my first preach, which I did solo, was on God's promise to Abraham and Sarai um, when they laughed at the idea of ch bearing children in their barrenness. And that was 16 years ago. And I remember thinking that him being 75 at the point that they were told, you will definitely have a child, to the point where at 100, he finally bore Isaac, was an incredibly long wait and a long time to hold on to faith. Yet here I am, three-fifths of the way through that time since I did that preach, and God has revealed so much more um, in those 16 years, and it's been profound. So I just want to start by turning our attention and our hearts to the Lord and just praying once more. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the word, that you are the truth that you give us your word and your truth in your promise that we may have faith and step out into everything that you desired and for us, that you created us for. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your promises and your message and your truth in this story of a man of faith? Even where he wavered, he chose your promise. Lord, may we do likewise. Amen. So let's jump into Genesis 12, verse 1 to 9, where it all begins or continues, depending on your perspective. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, or in fact, Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Verse four, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the west, east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out, continued towards the Negev. I realize I've said Abraham a few times instead of Abram. He was renamed, old habits die hard. We think of him as father Abraham. So if I slip, he is in this section, always Abraham, but I may refer to him as Abraham. He is one and the same. Ditto for Sarah, who is Sarai at this point, as yet not named. 
So this morning, we are going to look at the promises. We are going to look at the journey, the journey of faith. And we are going to look at reality versus the truth. For they're not always the same. I referred to this as the second act in Genesis. Obviously, the first act, we saw creation. We saw God who spoke the world into being. We saw him create man. Genesis chapter 2. No, Genesis chapter 1, in fact. Verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. And you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life. I have given green plants for food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So we started out with the creation which was epic. We started out with mankind in creation with the animals and the wildlife and the whole of the planet with the greenery, with the water, with the sky and together it was good and man was to have dominion over the earth. It doesn't say over other man. And then we see where God made man in his image and the snake, the serpent, deceived Adam and Eve, the fall, because he said, eat from this and be like God. They were already like God. They already had everything. And that's a whole different sermon. But we go through the whole of Genesis and we see after that, that from the curse where they were scattered, they continually tried to esteem themselves, to make their name great, to have all of the things, to be in dominion of all of the people, and to take what they thought was rightfully theirs without God. Culminating in Babel, the tower, and they wanted to make their name great, so God scattered them. And then we get to a very, very important verse, number 30 of chapter 11. We've just heard about all of the genealogies of all of the people of the earth, and we get to the point where we're hearing about Terah, who fathered Abraham. And verse 30 of chapter 11 says, Now Sarai was barren, she had no children. 31. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So we have the context. 
We have got to a point in creation where they're no longer multiplying. There is barrenness. Is there hope? They're cursed to work the land, and here they are without a hope of legacy. And that is the point at which we start the next act. Genesis 2. Uh, 12. It's Act 2, Genesis 12. Thank you very much. Um, And the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will. And he makes five I will promises. But this comes in the context of barrenness. It comes in the context of having headed for Canaan, which is the land that God showed him, and stopping short. It comes in the context of a crossroads. So those five promises, I will make you a great nation, echoing the original intent, multiplication, and I will bless you, echoing the original tent, I will give you every good thing, and I will make your name great, echoing the desire of the human heart to make their own name great. I will bless those, those is plural, all of those who bless you. And whoever, and that's singular, curses you, I will curse. If you want a greater overview of this, I'd highly recommend the Bible Project. Bibleproject.com or on YouTube, they have two parts, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as the two acts, and you can find out more. I'd love to go into so much more detail. There's about 20 sermons involved in here, if not more. But we can't go there, so we're going to start with blessings and curses. Because I realised if I'm going to talk about these promises of God, then surely I should be able to understand blessings and curses. We sing, I will bless the Lord forever. We say, bless you when you sneeze. We say, bless the Lord, O my soul. We say, blessings to people as greetings or bless you as you go out on your journey. And I had no clue what that meant. In fact, I thought that a blessing was basically a good thing, like a gift, like God providing something. So how on earth can I bless God? Because he's already got everything. He is the Alpha and Omega, the creator of all things, the owner of all things, and he's given them me for stewardship. So how can I bless him? So I started looking up blessing. Words such as Barak in the uh, Hebrew and Makarios in the Greek occur 516 times in the entire Bible in the forms of blessed, blessed, blesses, blessings, and blessings. And there's very much a devotion, a worship, and a praise involved in, and an honor um, involved in the Old Testament um, Barak. Because to bless is equivalent to kneel. It's equivalent of a prayer. A blessing is actually a prayer of our hearts. It is an honor. It is an esteem. It is a good thing from God. It is even stronger than as a greeting than shalom peace and shalom in hebrew was counted as 
almost being at one with God. So that is a high thing. So for a blessing to be stronger as a greeting than shalom, this is a powerful word. Not to be treated lightly. And then the New Testament doesn't talk much about our blessing or blessing of others, but it talks about being blessed more than anything else. We already have it. In the Old Testament before Jesus, guess what? They were awaiting the freedom and that release, and they had to receive the blessings from God. In the New Testament, after the cross, where we stand, on the other side of salvation, we are blessed. And a curse, actually, is a parallel. It is the absence of blessings. It is um, to remove honor, to unesteem. It is to think badly or negatively of. So a bit like God is love and the absence of love is fear, but perfect love drives out fear. A bit like light comes in, there is no darkness because darkness is the absence of light. Blessing is of God and is who God's very nature is. So a curse is the absence of God. And we see that in the original Genesis story, because when he cursed them to toil, when he cursed them to be scattered to childbirth and pain, not to pain in childbirth, that was just doing it without God, out of relationship, out of the original intent. And the fact that there's 516 occurrences of blessings, 199 of curses, the fact that the I will statements bless those plural and whoever singular curses shows that God's heart is for blessing, not for curse. God's heart is for good and it is good for you. Now to Abraham, he made these promises, but they were conditional and they came on the back they came on the back of go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house. Go from your identity, go from your support network, go from the people and the things that you know. And what I will do when you trust me and step into my plan because I am ordering your steps is I will make you a great nation. What you have here is barrenness, but you will have multiplication. I will bless you. What you have here is toil, but I will provide every good thing for you. I will make your name great. Not that you get to and step up in pride, but for my name's sake, I make your name great. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse whomever curses you. What's exciting about this is that in this promise, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. By the way, hashtag that's you. This was the original start of God putting his reformation plan into place. This is what is counted as the forerunning and the beginning of the gospel message and where we start to see Jesus coming into the story, where God is showing that he has a plan for redemption and no matter how many times we mess it up and no matter how much of a mess we make of it, he will find a way to make all things good for the 
Turn all things for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. So I want to share with you something about the power of words because we have talked about blessing and cursing. But I don't think we truly understand blessing and God's had me on a journey for the last few months into what blessing really means. What it means to speak life. Now, there was a study done by a Dr. Masaru Emoto, who was a Japanese guy, and he researched water. It's a very peculiar thing. You see there, these are water droplets that have been frozen. Now, they each have a word under them. Excuse the air. They each have a word under them. Thank you, wisdom, truth, eternal angel, I love you, peace, you fool, you make me sick, evil. And then there's polluted water before prayer and polluted water after prayer. And what he found was that even expressing an emotion, if the word wasn't spoken, or writing it down and placing it on a water sample, when the water was frozen and put under the microscope and photographed, the way it looked changed. When we have our hearts turned towards God, when we are walking in truth with the eternal God, when we are praying and saying, I love you, good things are literally happening to the molecules on this planet. It is not just the fact that words, you know, they say, sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never harm me and we know that couldn't be further from the truth we know the trauma of somebody who is not believed in we know have I turned it off I might have done something weird okay we're good um and now there's scientific evidence to prove it. Now, there's many more studies, and even in 2018, there's a German dude who looked more into this and found that you could change the patterns even through a Faraday cage, which nothing can go through, and it blocks all signals. And there is the suggestion that this effect and this feeling, and this emotion that we carry, even holding the emotions as a person next to the water changes it, which means that he then looked into distance, and they discovered that distance was not an object, which means that when we bless the Lord, when we have good thoughts about him, when we love other people, we are literally having an effect. In this world, even when we do not speak, preach the gospel, and if you need to, use words. Guess what? Your thoughts and emotions are the seat of your words first. And somebody said to me, a non-Christian, because they'd heard about this study and I was excited by it, and they said, but imagine if over 60% of our bodies are made of water, what's happening within you? That was an interesting and sobering thought about the words I speak. Am I speaking life or am I speaking death? Am I speaking blessings or curses? And am I believing the promises of God that he has made? Because if he promised Abraham, you will be a great nation and everybody, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Then these promises are for us and we are in Christ. We are in the family. So what promises are we partnering our belief with? 
What promises are we allowing to literally change our lives, our hearts, our emotions, our thoughts, our bodies, and the physical space in which we inhabit and the molecules around us? Sometimes just going, God, I don't believe. Help me in my unbelief. I turn my eyes upon you is shifting things because you are looking to God. So the journey, if that is the promise, what was the response? By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. By an act of faith, he lived in the country promised him. He lived as a stranger, camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on the unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. Wow. So... He had to leave northern Mesopotamia, Haran. Now, the thing about Haran, we know it was a crossroads. It was a really big commercial center, and it was a place that was highly um, blessed. The thing about Haran, it's where Terah, his father, had stopped. They were heading to Canaan. Abraham's family already knew where they were going. God had not yet told him where he was going, but yet it was already within him. God was already ordering his steps before he made it clear and plain and spoke it out to him. It was already within their family heritage and they were heading that way. So if you remember in chapter 11 verse 31 it says that Terah took Abraham and his son and Lot and the son of Aran his grandson and Sarai the daughter-in-law his son Abraham's wife and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan but they came to Haran and settled there they stopped short of God's promise they stopped short of the intention but God didn't give up he came to Abraham and said you know what if you'll go I can still restore the promise. If you will continue to walk the path I have laid out for you, you will be blessed. So what does that look like? Taking a step. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. So we've heard many times. I heard a sermon that said it better. It said, better to be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. Meaning, better to take the risk of getting wet but step into all that God has promised than to sit there talking about it, taking no action. Abraham decided to listen and go and risk it all was better than sitting in the relative safety because for he and Sarai, who were at a physical and a spiritual crossroads, not just literally the place around which was a crossroads, but in terms of God's call, had a choice to stay safely but barren in Haran with his father Taran or to risk going after what he was offered, a legacy of generations as a nation, a legacy of a name of great fame and a legacy of great impact in his contract to be a blessing to the nations. And all he had to do was step out 
and go into the unknown and trust God as his source, his cornerstone. So Abram was called to leave his people, nation, and the end of his family line, they were barren, and trust what God had promised to step out that God would make him a great nation. In fact, in verse, is it seven? The Lord appeared to Abram and said, take to your offspring, I will give this land. Well, that's great, but I don't have any yet, says Abram. To make you a great nation, it literally involves offspring. God's now spelling it out. He is drilling down the details. He is drilling it in. He will be so blessed by God, so cared for and provided for. His name will be made great. All that his predecessors had grasped for, to be famous. People still do it now. You want to, you want to be known. You want to have received the award. You want the medal for the race. You want the viral post on Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is for doing a weird little dance. You want to be seen and known for something because at the center of it, why would we want fame or a great name? It's because we want to be seen. Everybody wants to feel known. They don't want to feel like they're worth nothing. And God's saying, not only is he going to make him famous, but God is saying, I see you because I am talking to you. I want to bring you back into relationship. At the cross of Christ, he said, I want to bring you back into relationship. To each one of us, he says, I want to bring you back into relationship because I see you. So as people, are we going to take the same position as God and try and make our own way? Are we going to try and do it ourselves and try and beat off the curses of separation from God by looking for it outside of God? Or are we going to choose his plan, his purpose, his route, his ordering of our steps and his promise? The result for Abraham was not only for him and his family, his seed, the biblical word for for procreating and having children. His fame and renown bestowed by God such that nobody could take it away. His name is now in the Bible. It is one that we commonly know. Even people who aren't Christians know of Father Abraham. People of many faiths know of Abraham. All the people in the world will be blessed through him. So why are these promises important? Because it is God's message of redemption and faith that we have to put into it like Abraham, to say yes. It says yes, and he went in verse four, and Lot with him. He went as the Lord had told him. So faith is a journey. Faith is a journey, a journey of trust. And if we look at Hebrews 11, verse one, I love how Hebrews keeps touching upon this story. Um, that is the chapter of faith. First one, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Not only did Abraham on his journey have to choose not only did he have to choose to follow God, but he had to choose to keep looking to him. And so we see 
as he passed through the land that the Lord appeared to him and continued to give him the greater promise. But only after he had stepped out and he had already walked on and he had stepped in to what God had asked him to do, there was greater clarity, greater revelation. There was greater knowing and greater being seen at the point at which he chose to trust and take a step of faith. Like Peter, who stepped out of the boat to meet Jesus. And then when he sank, Jesus said, lift your eyes back on me. And then everything was good again and so he built an altar we're back in the day before God was thought of as dwelling on this earth we're back in the time before he had a set house so many of the patriarchs of the uh, old testament built altars which were ways of worshiping and basically blessing the lord the praise the lifting their eyes to him He's in conversation. He built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And then from there, he moved into the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. It would be easy to think, and we don't know, but it would be easy to think that Abraham was like, yes, I hear you, I'm going. And off he went. And then he saw God again and he built an altar. And then he went again and he built another altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. Why do we call upon the name of the Lord? When we need him, in our brokenness, we call out for the things that we need. So the fact that he sought the face of the Lord is not a stretch to assume that perhaps his faith wavered and that he needed the reassurance and to touch point and say, God, I'm fixing my eyes on you over the circumstances. I'm fixing my eyes on the promise that has not yet come into being. To choose to have hope in the things as yet not as not yet seen. Truth versus reality. Oh, I missed, I missed one. That was incredible. I want to share this picture because it touched me so much. There is a picture here of Jesus. And what he is asking in this divine exchange, if you imagine this is Abraham, the teddy bear is everything that he has known and the safety of a rich trading point with his father's house. Chris, if you, want the, uh, if you want the graphic, all you need to do is search for Jesus and teddy bear meme. And it's dead easy. Google will do the rest. Um, Abraham, will you give me that which is secure but not good in exchange for that which is so much better? And he asks that of us so often. We're going, but Lord, I don't want to have to do this. I really love X, Y, Z, other person, thing, item, whatever our hearts are turned to. And like Abraham, we have to build an altar and call upon the name of the Lord, which was in his day and age the equivalent of saying, I push to one side all God's small g and choose you, the God, capital G. What may he be asking you to exchange for the promise? The truth and the reality of it. So I haven't given you a little story yet. So I thought I'd tell you the story of when I was going on my gap year. And I had to raise money. And it was very exciting until the fact that the funds slowed down and the fundraising was not going fast enough. And I had two weeks left. And then my friend said to me, how much are you short? I want to give you a thousand pounds. 
Guess what? A thousand pounds was exactly what I needed. So I was like, praise the Lord, his provision has come through a friend supporting me. They had inheritance. Their parents had said, you may use it however you choose. There was unwritten contractual agreements within it that they were not aware of. They had to ask for it back. So I gave it back because I did not want to put my friend in an awkward situation with her parents, even though she was a person of faith. She had to honor her father and mother. But it left me going, okay, God, right. If that's not it, I know that blessed be your name, you give and take away, but you provide for the things that you've called to. You've called me to come out and go to Africa. I'm going to find a way of making this money somehow. And I was like, how many extra shifts can I do? And thinking all the things through, and I could only manage a few hundred pounds. So I got to church and I stood up and they asked me to give an update. So I stood up and I said, in faith, I am believing that by this time tomorrow morning, I will have the money. Otherwise, I am not going. And if God has called me to it, then there is a way. I just don't know it. So could you please pray that I would understand what's going on here? And then after the service, a woman ran up to me and she said, don't you know, there's a check in the office for you. It's been there for two weeks. Did nobody tell you? That check was made out for exactly £1,000. The reality was I could not see how I was going to Africa and paying my bill tomorrow. The truth was that God had provided, the provision was there, I just did not yet see it. He did it two weeks beforehand to show off. I swear that that's what was going on. God was showing his greatness and his glory because he could have written it that day, but that would not have glorified his name as much in the belief that he has already supplied for every need that we have because it was there before the gift was given and taken back away. It was already provided for, I just did not know. So in truth, the balance was paid, but I needed to live out in faith and I needed to be at church that morning and not give up and feel hard done to and not, not share. I had to speak up and take my step of faith out of the boat to then see the provision of God. Faith exercise, he asks us to take the first step and then he guides them and he works it all out as we walk with him. So the truth of Abraham's situation and the promises of God, one, the, the reality he was walking in was that Sarah was barren. They could not have children. There was no way he could fulfill these promises. But you know what? God does not give us the prophetic. He does not give us promises. He does not give us calls on our lives that are the size of us. Else we'd just go ahead and do them and leave him out the picture. He gives us God-sized prophetic words. He gives us God-sized callings. He gives us God-sized encouragements. And he gives us God-sized promises so that we have to look to him, so that we have to walk with him and so that we have to step out with him. Because in reality, our God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. In reality, our God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. In reality, our God is outside of time. A day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So our timelines, Abraham's 25 years, our place of waiting is not outside of God's ability to transact and to complete. He was the word in the beginning. He spoke eternity of creation into being. Jesus was at the forefront of time and he knew us before we were even in our mother's womb. He called us according to his purposes. Even Jeremiah 1 talks of 
how Jeremiah was given his role as a prophet before he was born, before the start of time. God has called us. He already knows. Do you not think he's going to make a way and order our steps and show us how it's going to become? Jeremiah 29, this verse that everybody always quotes. It's amazing. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. He has the plan, the hope and the promise. Then we will call upon him. Because guess what? It's a God-sized plan. Guess what? It's a God-sized promise. And guess what? It revolves around us partnering with him and not doing it on our own. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Again, God's reiterating these same promises from Genesis into Jeremiah that then are fulfilled in the cross. We are able to walk with the Lord and he is able to do more than we could ask or think by his Holy Spirit. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever ask or imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around or by work, um, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. So how big are your dreams? What are you trusting God for? What are you going to step out and ask him for? Because if he can do more than we can ask, dream, or imagine, and he made these promises to Abraham, which we step into to see all people blessed, so we get to be blessed to be a blessing also, then where are we called to go? Whom are we called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to? And what amazing miracles, what amazing testimonies are you expectant to see? Because remember... Your emotions and your expectancies and your dreams affect even the water molecules around you. God has created it so that we get to impact the world. We get to have legacy the same way that Abraham had legacy. You have a legacy to leave for God's glory, for his name. And he will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory when you choose to partner and follow him and step out. And he went and did as the Lord had asked him. So often we listen to a message and that's where we leave it. So often we hear it and then we suddenly move on to, to uh, notices and tea and coffee and we're gone. So I want you to take a minute to think of the three things we've talked about. The promises of God. The journey of faith. Reality versus the truth of God in your reality. What is it that God has spoken to you? What one thing? For they've proven that if you do not think again of something, you forget it. A message, very little of it goes forward with you. I won't go into all of the science behind it, but the basic gist is when you stop and repeat it, it goes deeper. And then when you look at it at a later time, it goes further still. When I'm coaching my clients, one of the things that I say is do it now, get it in the diary, or it doesn't happen. So 
What are you going to do now that you can put in your diary to remind you to step out and step in with God? It might be that you need to have a conversation about the promises he's given you. It might be that you need to build some faith and go and read some testimonies of great people and local people and how God has impacted their lives to boost your faith and to help you think, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It might be that you need to take that step that he's been asking you to take for I don't know how long, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, because it's been sitting in your subconscious and it's been sat there and you've been too scared, but perfect love drives out all fear. But what commitment are you going to make? Is it that you're going to go and talk to somebody over coffee, your friend, your accountability person? Is it that you are going to spend some time with the Lord reflecting on this passage? What do you need to do to step into this message and that God is putting in your heart today to make a change? What one thing can you do today that means tomorrow is forever different? Tomorrow your legacy for God is forever impacted.